Welcome to the Open Bell, a podcast for trumpet players by trumpet players and a cornet guy. I'm your host, Bill Stoneman, and I'm joined by my good friends and fellow trumpet geeks, Joey Tartell and Brian Appleby Weinberg. This episode of the Open Bell is brought to you by the World Trumpet Federation. In addition to being home to the Open Bell podcast, the World Trumpet Federation is quickly garnering the attention of trumpeters who are seeking a fresh perspective on playing and teaching. If you or your students are looking for helpful resources, simply go to www.worldtrumpetfederation.com. And Tromba Mundi, Contemporary Trumpet Ensemble. Have you ever been at home thinking, I could sure stand to listen to some trumpet ensemble music right about now? Then Tromba Mundi is the answer. Formed in 2008 for the sole purpose of illuminating the trumpet ensemble as a viable chamber music option, Tromba Mundi has redefined the genre through live performances in the U.S. and abroad and by providing excellent recordings of established and new repertoire for trumpet ensemble. In fact, our latest CD, The Non-Articulation Agreement, which was recorded in Nashville, Tennessee, is due out this fall. You can find Tromba Mundi on Facebook, well, most of us, the interwebs, and of course, on the World Trumpet Federation homepage. And now, here's a little about the show. We essentially have three segments, warming up, a couple things, and no offense. We'll use these segments to cover information that Joey, Brian, and I think is important. Gentlemen, shall we? This is a segment we call Warming Up, and it gives us a chance to ease into the show by talking about some things that are on our radar. Brian, what have you got for us today? Well, you know, I've been hammering you guys a lot about cornet playing and great cornet oh, artists I, and I cornet technique being transferred to trumpet. But I do want to talk about soprano cornet this week. Unbelievable. So, as, if, as, if, I've been, <laughs> as if cornet as, as a general concept wasn't enough. It We're wasn't gonna narrow deep that enough. Down. We're, We're going to deep the cornet. dive the yes. cornet world. So I'm All looking for in. a current player who's like spectacular on a level um, that you guys would appreciate, we'd all appreciate. Um, and there are a lot of great soprano corp cornet players out there doing great things. Now, when um, we say soprano cornet, for those who are not from uh, the UK, we're, we mean E flat cornet. E flat those are the soprano cornet. Those are the same thing, interchangeable, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And or Joey, sop. based on your expertise uh, in the last esp episode, right? They sit yeah. on the end of the second row <laughs> next to the <laughs> piano player. That's death row, right? Death row. Death row. Exactly. Not just Jeff, to be clear, right? right. <laughs> and so, right, so you're saying you're saying it's soprano cornet, it's E flat cornet, or SOP. All of those are the same. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Terrific. So, if in the trumpet world, who's the best trumpet player ever? Oh. There's no answer to that. Okay. Terrific. And I think if you ask that question about soprano cornet, there's one answer: is Peter Roberts. Wow. And Peter and I, I, I don't think anybody's close. Um, Peter Roberts is um, largely self-taught. So um, when he was coming up through the Graham Thorpe Junior Band, there was a tuba player he studied with a little bit, but he never took like proper lessons. He worked in the Graham Thorpe Colliery, um, and he just practiced a lot and eventually got onto soprano cornet and then became this incredible artist. Um, and um, he won every major competition that you can win um, mm. at the Open. Um, the Open is a is a band competition. Uh, band competition. The Been British there. Open is a golf championship. The Open <laughs> is a band competition. 
Um, and he's won every division at that. I, I actually the think open. they call that the Open Championship now, not, not the, the open, British Open that's anymore. That's right, the Open Championship. They changed that. That's a golf, mm. that's a golf that's thing. That's a golf thing, and the we don't open. care about that, really. Right. The, exactly. open the Open is brass bands. It's a brass band competition. Um, and he played on a Bach 17C, and he, um, he plays... Both lips, or just the one? <laughs> that's right. And he plays, uh, he played a Schilke, a Schilke soprano cornet um, for basically his whole career. He retired from Grimethorpe, um, or sorry, retired from Black Dyke, um, won the Europeans. Um, just an incredible artist. There's, there's a CD out that he did um, with YBS and Dave King called Legend. Um, fantastic recording. Um, and it's just, I think people are working hard on him maybe to get to that level, but I don't know. He... He's just amazing, and if you haven't heard great soprano cornet playing or just great playing, uh, great artistry, um, he's got there's some YouTube videos of him doing um, like Flowerdale. It's an amazing mm. performance with mm -hmm. YBS, um, and uh, I just want to drop that name and uh, give some inspiration to to folks. Um, and he just worked his tail off to be amazing. And the, that chair is sort of the lead chair. So there's sort of a, a lead head that, that goes with, you know, being on top of the band. But there's also a requirement for this real subtle color um, and vibrato. And um, it's not really a blending chair. You don't really blend with the section. Um, you do have to play in unison with the front row at times. Um, but it's, there's a real sweetness to what has to happen in that chair, as well as this incredible bravura, over-the-top dynamic playing when it really has to bring the piece home. And yeah. is there a requirement of being a soloist as well? As you're saying, this guy was also a, a tremendous soloist. Is that always built into that chair? I think the, it's expected that that is a corner chair that's going to stand up and do solos as well in every contest piece. Um, I just wrote about this for the ITG Journal um, about the different chairs in the band. Um, and our former soprano player, uh, Will Gregory, who's a freelance player and teacher in Philadelphia, he, um, he calls it a moment, the, all the, the moment of soprano shaming, where there's this huge bombastic passage, shout chorus for the, for the band, and then everything stops, and then like the soprano has to walk some tightrope, real soft flexibility. <laughs> <laughs> so the complete, complete opposites, he calls it soprano shaming. Um, so yeah, it's, um, he's, he's amazing, and uh, he's been retired for a few years. He plays a little bit. He's played with Brass Band of Battle Creek as well. Um, and uh, yeah, so if, if you're looking for something really cool and inspiring to listen to. So is there anybody active who you would say has been the next generation of him, or that is an open, an open question at this point? I don't think anybody's there. Um, there are some great players. Kevin Crockford just retired. Um, Steve Stewart's um, competing um, and playing as well as anybody. Um, he plays in Corey, and they're winning everything. And he's an amazing player um, and and musician. Um, I don't I don't know whether Steve would put himself in that category or not um, with Peter, but Peter's like it just seems like se for me just such such a separation uh, mm. even now. Yeah, Peter Roberts, yep. to check it out. Check him out. And a name that you could pronounce and spell this week. That's right. I think I, that's maybe why that. you picked him. <laughs> that's totally much why. better. That's way better. Fascinating. Joey, what do you got for us? Okay, I have this. 
<laughs> I saw an, ar uh, an argument on Facebook, and I know I shouldn't get involved. Oh, I did not get no. involved in the argument, but I found this to a new level of stupid, and I'd like to talk about it for a second. As, <laughs> as people are discussing how the trumpet works, and I'm not here to have a physics discussion, but there were people that they put uh, like a surgical glove over the bell and started playing, and you would watch the glove inflate. And they would say, see, air is coming out the bell. And other people saying, no, there is no air coming out of the bell. And people saying, are you being sarcastic? Are you, you can <laughs> see it. And people, and these are trumpet players, these are established trumpet players, and people who often think of themselves as teachers as well, saying there is zero air coming out of the bell of the trumpet while it's being played. And I would just like to have this very simple discussion. <laughs> Whether or not you think we buzz our lips or we blow, when we're playing the trumpet, there is air coming out of our mouths that is going into the trumpet. Yes. Mm -hmm. at, right. at some amount. We, don't, yes. we, we may not know exactly how much. Now, there's only one place for that air to go. Out of the bell. Yes. There is no other opening. We're right. not playing flute. We're not playing clarinet. Thankfully. So there obviously is air coming out of the bell. Now, it's not coming out like in a big, fast stream. You couldn't blow out a candle that way because of the flare of the bell and mm -hmm. maybe the amount of air and the yeah. speed at which it's coming out. But the contention made by a couple of individuals that there is no air <laughs> coming out of the bell while we're playing the trumpet seemed to me unbelievably stupid and out of any kind of common sense yeah. because we take a breath and whether we're buzzing or blowing air definitely leaves our mouth goes into the trumpet which means it has there has to be air coming out am i crazy here help me out no you're not crazy no i mean you crazy are crazy but not in terms but of not this. about this <laughs> your craziness does exceed our expectations in, no. was it in the 50s they did the experiment with people the brass players taking a big drag on a cigarette and then playing a long tone mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> i've seen this too with the guitar yeah. yeah with a cigar or yeah, you thing. can do this very simply you can take your bell and put it into a sink or a bathtub and blow and bubbles happen yeah that's air. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to go somewhere. Yes. I don't understand the idea of people saying there is no air there, but these are people, these are not just uh, some of the uh, normal everyday yahoos that I talk about. So I, I have a question, and I mean, you, obviously you, you may take this question the wrong way, but I think it's, it's important, which, it. is, which is uh, <laughs> who... That's built into the show. Yeah. Who cares? Well... I think it is. I, I actually think this is important when you think of yourself as a teacher and we talk about how the trumpet operates. Right. Because people want to speak in absolutes. And that can be very dangerous. If you say, if you tell a student there is no air leaving that horn, then they might think, well, then there, there's no air going in, which means I don't blow. Or I don't buzz my lips, or no air leaves my mouth while I'm playing, which they could then lock up a student in all kinds of crazy ways. The lead right. pipe's a black hole into which the air goes. Right. <laughs> it doesn't go out the bell. So uh, who cares? I care because I want good information out there. And when people are out there thinking they're providing you know, good and accurate information, when in fact what they're providing is just crazy pants and can be harmful, mm. I do care. Can, yeah. it, can it be the, um, what they're really saying is that you're not actually blowing the sound through the instrument? 
I, that's not what they were saying. And they were right. very clear in saying <laughs> that, no, no, there is no air There's at no all. There's no air. And I'm thinking, well, what's filling up that glove? Yeah, right. What's right. making those bubbles? And where does the air that leaves my mouth go? It's helium. Right. There's alchemy involved. <laughs> it, that's what the holes in the bottom of the valves are for. Right. <laughs> that's where it goes. That's where All the extra in. valve oil and air goes out the bottom, which is why you're able to hold the trumpet up. It helps now, the downforce. That's why you don't get tired holding I, it up. This is why I brought this question. Exactly. Guys, I knew I'd and get a, a really if, clear and good answer. If you feel like it's really built up, you just open one of the air valves at the end of the lead pipe, <laughs> the end, right, the shooting slide, and then it, that allows it to escape and equalizes the pressure. If it gets stuffy. It, right. Open, open that up. Yeah. Those the other, the other, just common sense thing. I mean, just ignoring common sense, of course, makes me crazy. It, you know, for people who like to uh, to blow the lead pipe, if you take your tuning slide off and you cover the end of that, and try and make a sound, it doesn't work. Doesn't make any sound because right. no air can pass through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lead pipe playing. Let's put that on the list. I want oh, to come, yeah, back, come to back to that. that. Yeah, we, we definitely want to come back. We definitely want to come back to that. We really the do. whole gadget discussion. Yeah. Well, lead pipe's not a gadget. It's part of the horn. Yeah. The right. way they use right. it becomes a bit of a All gadget. All right. So thanks for that. Good. Bill, what do you got for us today? Well, boys, listen, after two weeks of great fun playing backboard bingo, it's I thought bingo, we should take a break. It's bingo. bingo because I say it is. <laughs> and I think we should take a break and answer some questions from the emails that we've been getting at the home office. I don't know if you guys have been checking in on this. Yeah. But you can email us, worldtrumpetfederation uh, at gmail.com. Please. There it is. And so we've been checking these emails. Um, and so it's it's time this week to open the Open Bell Mailbag. All right. Yes. Now, Excellent. this would not be possible without our dedicated staff at the home office. And in particular, I'd like to thank Karen for collecting, organizing, and censoring the incoming mail so that we could <laughs> arrive at today's most non-conical correspondence. Thank you, Karen. You're the best. Karen is <laughs> awesome. Isn't she? Totally I don't know dedicated. if you, yeah, I've had to deal with her much there, but man, all she, in. She keeps the office running and is doing she amazing does. work. And I'll admit, I was skeptical with the hire. I was, but yeah. man, proven me It wrong. has worked out really well. It's been amazing. Absolutely. Okay. Email number one. Bill, Joey, and Brian, first of all, thank you so much for what you're doing for the trumpet community. My question is this. How have the three of you dealt with your rise to fame as a result of recording the Open Bell and starting the World <laughs> Trumpet Federation? Your work is so much more meaningful, creative, and sincere than, for instance, writing sarcastic lip slur books. So again, thanks for all you do. Really looking forward to your answer. From Elisa in South Central Ohio. I love our fans. I love okay. our fans. Our fans are the uh, best. They're amazing. I, I really appreciate the heartfelt nature of this. And as much as it's not a competition, it's just good to know that we're winning. Yes. So, uh, but uh, the, the fame, it, 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 I mean, obviously, when you start a trumpet podcast aimed at trumpet players, I mean, the sky's and the a, limit. And a cornet guy. And a cornet guy. I mean, we, I, and we kind of knew and we're ready for this kind of well, just uh, explosion of fame and, and notoriety. Exactly. We had time to brace for it. Yeah, exactly. It's not like it was unexpected. Please. No, I mean, of course not. How, do, how could Please. this not happen is really right. the question. No the one's more unhappy about it than Brian. I've right. had to stay in quarantine. That's why he won't <laughs> no, leave his basement. Yeah. <laughs> right. Stay his here. state's open, but he can't leave the house. He can't leave the house. 
just over overrun with trumpet with, players. With the adoring fans. It's, yeah, just and, too and much. we do love each and every one of them. Yeah. So, Lisa, I hope that helps and hope that, that it eases your pain. Um, email number two starts this way. Full disclosure, I'm not a trumpet player, but I'm married to one. And in an attempt to be the best wife possible, I listen to the Open Bell podcast with my husband. I clearly have been listening too long because I now have an equipment question. Um, <laughs> what is your preferred brand of piano in your studio for stacking your trumpets on? Uh, this is from Krista in Mount Arlington, New Jersey. Okay, this is a very, very good question. And uh, to one of your colleagues, I think this will be uh, former colleagues, uh, yes. Rebecca would would have strong feelings about uh, the use of pianos as as a storage for trumpet music and trumpets themselves. Well, furniture, really. Yeah, they are. Yeah, no, it is. It, they pianos can make some really good storage and furniture. And uh, I personally, um, I I have a. I think the Wurlitzers are, are personal. My favorite, the uprights. They're wow. taller. I like the taller uprights for those. Because then I don't have to bend over to pick up music. Nostalgic. Joey goes nostalgic. The oh, world. Yeah. So, yeah. so you you stand them up then across the upright or the spinet or. Um, I might have some open, but even on top because they're a little taller. They mm. really you can get a lot of yeah. music on those. You can store a lot of stuff on top. Yeah. Of those I've had to put books on top because I scratch the top with my trumpets. So I <laughs> tend to put a bunch of books on top, <laughs> and then I put the trumpets on top of the books. That's taking care of the problem. No sweat. That's but great. You didn't, I, but what kind of piano? That was it's the a, question. It's an up, Upright Boston. Oh, a Boston. Oh, that's oh, yeah. a great a use for a yeah, Boston. That's yeah. good. It is. Yep. Very no, what, yeah, that, what, are you, what are you using? That or a bonfire. Um, I, so over the years, I've been fortunate because I've had grand pianos in my offices. You know, so I, I really. That's a lot of room. It's a lot of room. And so I've usually come up with some sort of decorative um, sort of covering for the center because I don't want to scratch a beautiful instrument. And then I lay them out in order of key size of trumpet. So it makes for a beautiful display. And I understand you can't lift the lid, but who really wants to hear that anyway? I mean, we're, you know, something like the Kennan, for example, that whatever it's about the trumpet. And I think that's the important thing to remember here. Um, Preferred brand. Uh, since we're not talking about sound, I, I'm, too, I'm going to go with the Steinway Boston thing. I love to uh, stack Steinway. stuff is it good? on, on those. I think they're yeah. sturdy. Um, that is very a sturdy well table. Sturdy yep. trumpet table. Absolutely. So thanks, Krista. I hope that clears it up. And hey, keep listening. I'm sure that your husband appreciates it too. Email number three. Gentlemen, I've really been enjoying the show, and I'm not even a trumpet player. However, I did raise one which I'm sure qualifies me for some level of sainthood. Uh-oh. I remember it like it was yesterday, the sounds of Maynard Ferguson blasting in the house and the smell of ego in the wind. Oh, no. What a painful existence. But a mother's work is never done. My question is, can you somehow keep Joey a bit more reined in so that Bill and Brian can talk more? Trust me, I know that won't be easy, but that would be a nice change of pace for the show. <laughs> From Judith in San Antonio, Texas. <laughs> Well, I'll let you guys go to this one. <laughs> I responded, dear Joey's mom. <laughs> Funny, Brian and I, you know, we're really just going to reach out to her to say, how do you rein him in? <laughs> We've tried. It she, doesn't work. She, it doesn't uh, work. She got me to 17 and just sent me off to college. I think that might be her answer. <laughs> I just think she's thankful that we were able to bring you out of your shell to the show. 
and I mean, I, the only reason I got into this business anyway was to fix your image problem. And I think. <laughs> and when does that start? <laughs> Still I, no luck. Hey, you. our first email today indicates that you've reached a certain level of fame. Obviously. You know, that's great. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Oh, email. are awesome. They're great. And these letters are really heartfelt. Email number four. Congrats on the show, guys. I'm actually a trumpet player, married to a trumpet player, and we enjoy listening to the open bell together. That is when I don't have a gig and I can be home with my husband. I wonder if you can settle a bet for us by answering a simple question. Do you guys wear ties when you record the show? <laughs> Thanks, Bryn from Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's a great question. I, the level of uh, formality and, of course, proper attire for the proper uh, appearance is, is one that we obviously should address. Yeah. I mean, but look, we take this seriously. I, I, very seriously. You know, get up at 6 p.m. to come record these things, and I'm wearing a coat and tie. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm, I've just gone blazer, but I am in shorts. Well, but the blazer makes a statement, and that's what's important. Yeah. It says that you understand the gravity of the situation. Exactly. Yeah. Because well, it's I radio, I unbuttoned the collar. I have the tie on, but I unbuttoned the collar because it's radio. I have yeah. noticed, but the casual looks good for you, Brian. It really yeah. works well. You do, you, you do pull it off. Yeah. <laughs> and Joey, as the Texan, I thought you'd wear one of those, uh, what is it called? Uh, the bolo tie? The bolo tie. Well, yeah. uh, if you go back to the previous writer, uh, my mother would claim that... Uh, Although born in Texas, I was born on uh, an Air Force base, the federal land. She does not claim me as a Texan, even though I do. <laughs> <laughs> wow. My mother is a New Yorker, and uh, she would uh, still object to me referring to myself as a Texan. But I consider myself, as a born and raised, a proud Texan. Yes, you but do. But I do not own a bolo tie, nor do I own cowboy mm. boots. Maybe that's something for a little further west. Yes. Do you have a hat? Farther. <laughs> I was speaking conceptually. No, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, one more for today. Um, in, in One more email that uh, Karen put together for us here. Hey, guys, how are you now? Do you think there's a chance the show will be translated into other languages so people like me who live outside the U.S. can enjoy it even more? Thanks for considering. Daryl from Letterkenny, Ontario, Canada. Guys, if you don't mind, I, I have an answer for this one. Of Fantastic. course. Go, go for it. Great, great. Daryl, how are you now? Weez appreciates your questions. To be fair, Big Shoots, we may be new to the game and still letting the paint dry a little, but we're not 10-ply here by any means. Now, Brian's always got chore to do. Joey's got to crush a sando before Pracky, and I'm always looking for gains for her and then a nappy. But before you go thinking we're a bunch of pheasants, you need to pump the brakes, stop your chirping, and grab yourself a pupper's. Now, I don't know if you're a shirt, tucker, skid, or degen from up north, and honestly, I don't care as long as you keep listening. So we'll try to give you a reason to sell you and drop one in the five hole for you. In the meantime, grab your spitter and make like a boy at the Leafs camp, or we may have a Tilly or a full-on Donnybrook on our hands. Now, pitter-patter, let's get at her and figure it out. And while you're doing that, I'll get to work on translating the show into Canadian. And that's a Texas size 10-4, allegedly. Well, <laughs> well done. That, that makes that very clear. And if, Thank uh, you. If that doesn't work, we'll get JC on, on the other translations <laughs> right away. He can and translate to anything. He can put that into at least five or six other languages before we even think about it. And now it's time for the heart of the matter. Today's main topic, it's time for a couple things.
on this show, we like to tear things apart more than anyone. In fact, breaking things down is what we do. However, when it comes to trumpet playing, is it possible to go a bit too far and create a problem known as paralysis through analysis? Hopefully today we can address this phenomenon and provide some helpful insight. Let the overthinking begin. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I love this topic. Uh, there, there is a brand of teaching out there that says, don't think about anything, just play. And uh, I always have a problem with that because if you never think about anything, how can you possibly get any better? You're just hoping that you get better because the, and, and they, they always thought well you know you don't want to get that paralysis by analysis and I'm thinking well no but without analysis how is there growth so the question I think we're asking today is where is that line because if you're getting to the point in performance where you're thinking you know like you know they, I said we shouldn't talk about golf but I'll talk just a little bit about golf if you ask a golfer do you breathe in or out during your backswing, it's a great way to screw somebody done. up because then they get <laughs> their head. Totally. They're done. So it's if over. We think, if we think about that same thing, like, all right, so when you step out on stage, are you going with your left foot or your right foot first? You know, like if you're worried about that level of detail instead of music at the time of performance, yeah, you're way over that line. But in the practice room, maybe not, right? Mm-hmm. I agree. I think the key here is that it isn't the process should be synthesis, analysis, synthesis. So the, 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 the step that gets skipped is the putting it back together again. So I think it's OK to tear it down and look at a specific part of your playing, but then also have a plan in place to put it back together so that it all functions again. That's the key. So I did a bunch of thinking about this and. Um, but have you done much overthinking on it? Yeah, yeah, think, I've done a bunch of overthinking. I think about we know the answer to this question. Yeah. This is really, um, this is a really interesting process, and I think I go back and forth in my own teaching and in my own playing. Um, but let me see if I can put it like this: um, Our goal is maybe the most artistic expression and the most natural physical execution is what we're after. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a lot of research recently. Um, but I go even back farther um, further. to further. You're speaking conceptually. <laughs> Come on, you're not, Brian. You're not stepping backwards. To in time, uh, to <laughs> when the inner game was written, right? The Galway uh, book, inner game. He was just on this really cool podcast um, by Michael Lewis called Against the Rules. Yes, this I've season actually, I actually subscribed to that. Yeah. So this season, he, Michael Lewis is doing a whole bunch of um, podcasts on coaching. Um, and he, to do this, he went to um, and went back and interviewed um, Galway on the Inner Game, and Galway talked about um, why he why he wrote the Inner Game and what um, precipitated his ideas about it. And he was teaching tennis um, at a club, and he said one day he was teaching and he was saying the same things um, again to the same players over and over, and he thought, wow, is is this going to be my career? Is this what I'm going to do? And he said, um, so I decided to play a game with myself, which was to see how little I could say um, and how little I could interact with the student and just to see what happens. And he said, to my amazement, um, as the student was hitting, um, I just backed away and didn't give physical instruction at all. 
I was giving conceptual ideas. Think about the ball going here. Think about hitting the seam of the ball. And lo and behold, before my eyes, I was not doing my regular teaching, and the student got better and better and better. Um, and I think it's a great thing for us to think about in terms of our anal analytical way of, of teaching. Um, the other thing um, that I've listened to recently is this podcast called Golf Science Lab. Um, I think they're in like season five now, but in season one, um, uh, in episodes seven and eight, um, they did a interviews with, um, in season seven, uh, episode seven is um, Rebecca Lithwaite, um, who's a, a researcher in California who deals with um, motivation um, in practice and getting better. Um, and deals a lot with um, positivity in coaching and her flat statement is that if there's negativity when you're teaching you impede learning period and that <laughs> period and so if you're coaching a football team no matter what you think the students investment is um, and then she also says that um, it, they did a bunch of research and found that out that any kind of choice a student could make down to when they walk in the room you say I was wondering if you could just help me with something is the picture on that wall better on that side the right wall or the left wall just make them make that choice that that sense of autonomy and ownership in being able to make a choice seems to impact learning. So they did this, she's a golf researcher too, so they did it with choice of the color of the golf ball. Um, and the people who got to choose what color um, learned at a faster rate, had more success. Um, and then her colleague um, is Gabrielle Wolf, and she's at UNLV. And this is all about motor learning, right? Which is what we're doing too. It's all about motor learning. Go and running rebels, just for the record. Yeah. Wow. So she. What she talks about, and this I think is much more closely aligned with what we're doing. Um, they did a bunch of research on where you focus while you're practicing. Um, so, um, for instance, they had a bunch of novices um, hitting drives. So they basically teach you how to hold the club and then they, how to address the ball. And then they just say, hit to this target. And then they asked, could you concentrate on your arm swing? Could you concentrate on your hands? Could you concentrate on the shaft of the club? Could you concentrate on the ball making contact? Could you concentrate on the flight of the ball? And it turns out that depending on the level of the player, the more distal, the more, uh, far, the farther away the person could focus, the faster the learning. Further. Further. It wasn't actually the distance of the ball. It was the <laughs> concept. Oh, so yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so we're terrible. If he's if if he or she is focusing on a target on a wall down, you know, fifty yards away versus focusing on their hands, if they're at a certain point in their ability. So the the more masterful a player you are, the further farther you can the farther you can think away from your body right further, yeah that becomes that becomes really important um when we talk about trumpet 
Yeah. So if you're thinking about what your tongue's doing, what your lips are doing, what your diaphragm is doing. Right. But isn't all that is music over mechanics, right? I mean, you need to address the mechanics, but ultimately if you're keeping the music in mind. And what they're saying is the learning is fast. What the research says is the learning is faster and more natural and more complete if you don't think about those things. Of course. Yeah. Right. This is important. But yeah. there does have to be some fundamental instruction at the beginning to get you started. This is how to hold a trumpet. This is how to make a sound on a trumpet. Now, go do stuff. Yeah. Right? But, uh, you know, so you have to get somebody started, and you want to do that as simply and as easily as possible. So I know we've talked before about you know, starting beginners, and when people say, well, I start them on the mouthpiece or I start them on the lead pipe, and I'm thinking, why? Right. Get a horn in their hands and get them making some sounds and yeah. let them go play. Yeah. Because a lot of these things... When we, uh, you know, I talk about this with my students a lot when we talk, when we, they would ask kind of specific questions. Well, what is it? Is it this? Is it this? Is it this? And I say, well, if you hop on the Internet, you can find somebody that will tell you it's all about your teeth or your lips or your tongue position or yeah. your right hand or your left hand or you're standing with your right foot in front of your left foot, left foot in front of your right foot. And, all, uh, you know, it's all about air. That's obviously always an easy one. You know, uh, <laughs> right. you know what do you need to do? Well, just more. think more air. And then, oh, that worked. And well, I don't know if that worked or not. It's not really a thing. But the idea that all of those things are factors. And if you actually end up concentrating on any one of them, especially in a developmental stage, it's likely that you're going to overdo that one part which right. means the other parts will be lessened. And the, what you're not doing is coordinating all of those things because if you honestly try to coordinate all of those things consciously by thinking about everything it takes, it's like asking somebody to stand up and describe every muscle in the body that they're using to do it. Right. You'll never be able to actually stand because, well, oh, wait, well, I've shifted my weight. Well, that's my knee. Now, it's impossible. The same thing with trumpet playing. There are a lot of things going on at the same time. So, of course, we want to make that as simple as possible. And we do not want to get wrapped up in the idea of, well, your tongue should be right here and your lips should be right here and your teeth should be right here. Then you're going to breathe in like this, but then you want to keep your corners, and, but don't forget about, and then the air blowing out. Of course not. You don't want to get to that level. But, especially at the beginner, you do want to get them set up so that there is a good progress that's able to be made. And I'm not sure that's... That's the mechanical analysis because then what you talked about previously becomes very important as well. Because when my students play for me, this is what they're used to. They'll, whatever we're working on, they're going to play me an etude, they're going to play me a solo, and I'll listen. And then the first question I ask them is, so tell me how you thought that went. How did that go? No. And, then I'm gonna, and then I will ask them use, I will ask them questions. I noticed that you took a breath here. Why did you choose to breathe here? Now, I'm not making a judgment on whether that's good or bad. Normally, if I'm asking the questions, they're perceiving that I have a problem with it. And <laughs> right. maybe they're right a lot of those times. But I want to hear, why did you make this choice, either musical or technical, so we can get to them being able to make those choices on their own to make good ones, musical and technical choices. Yeah. Well, and that that's the goal, ultimately, right? Like, um, I Keith used to say to us all the time, he's like, look, I love to hear from my students. Don't get me wrong, but... I don't ever want them to have to call me. Right. So, right, like, <laughs> you know, to be in a position to have to call. So we try to do this for our students. We you put in place a system that facilitates them. Looks, how many of them are going to be able to go take a lesson after they leave? Right. They get out into a teaching position, right, or playing, and how often they're able to do that. Or, or be able to fix, have to, time to go to someone to get something fixed if it goes wrong. You know, they, um, they're going to have to find a way to do that on their own. And the simplest systems are the best way to do that. 
But that's another important part of this. When things go wrong, mm -hmm. the idea of what do you do, there needs to be some kind of analysis. Otherwise, right. you just keep doing the same exact thing. Now, you don't want to get wrapped up in like we're talking about, you know, overly analyzing so that you can't concentrate on a big picture. But if there's a real problem in your playing, you need to figure out what that problem is, which is by definition is analysis so mm -hmm. that you can fix it. I mean, yeah. and and I guess and how you, you fix it is the, is the issue. How you fix it is important, yeah. but the idea that to do that without analysis is not possible. Right. I mean, right. we've, we've talked about golf way too much already, but look at Tiger Woods is a great example. Through the time where he was the best golfer in the world, he was constantly reworking his swing. As somebody who was winning tournaments, at about 50% of the tournaments he's entering, he was winning, and he was still screwing around with his swing trying to make it better. With what? With a coach who would sit down with him and video and talk him through technical ways of addressing these kinds of real problems. And I do the same thing with trumpet playing, which is, hey, listen, that's going really well. Have we thought about? Brian, you've done it right now. You were talking about working through right. your chop thing. You're like, I'm concerned about this physical thing on the lower right side. I'm going to take that apart and put it back together again. That's analysis, and that's right. important yeah. for growth. So the idea that should it be simple, absolutely, but also it has to exist. So the idea that, hey, listen, all you got to, and I've heard trumpet teachers say this, there are no technical problems, there are only musical problems. And I'm thinking, <laughs> that's just not true. That's just not mm -hmm. true, yeah. yeah. There are technical problems, and they need analysis, and there are musical problems that need analysis. Hey, listen, I hear you playing this this way. Why are you breathing there, and where does the phrase go? That alone is analysis. That's musical analysis that's important for growth. So, a couple things. Interestingly, That's we, the next segment. You no, know, that is this segment. So, <laughs> we actually ended up talking about <laughs> teaching. <laughs> right? So, here we are back to talking about how we teach and in teaching. But let's say for a moment, let's, let's remove the teacher from the equation. Let's give some advice to someone who's just dealing with this. It's the summer. They don't have access to a teacher. There's someone later in their career. They don't have access to a teacher. What is that process that you go through the and the synthesis analysis synthesis to arrive at the point? And what what are the things that are important? I remember years ago hearing Jeff Tizig talk about um, he was playing played lead with uh, Mangione, right? Yep. At for a certain time, and talked about had this thing where this part of his lip just kind of came untucked when he played, and and it was you know he really drove him crazy, and he thought it was going to be an issue, so he went to work on fixing it, and then couldn't like ultimately couldn't play and then like got to the gig and was like yeah whatever i don't care if my lip moves and then played like i just have to go do this i mean what are the important things and what's the process well that what you're talking about is the important thing one if you believe that there's a real technical problem that the idea that you recognize what it is and then build a path forward but the ultimate goal what you're talking about is the synthesis on the back end is right. when you're performing is when you're only con the only thing you should be concentrating on is the music, is the musical product you're making. So you need to get yourself comfortably technically and musically in the practice room so that when you step on stage or wherever your performance is, that all you're considering is, I'm going to make this great music and go. Because if you're thinking, okay, now I've got to make sure I take a breath there and I make sure that my lip doesn't pop out here and I've got to make sure that I don't move my hand here. You're, you're shot. you got no shot before you've ever started. So the right. idea of, of building it in the practice room. So you've got to take that time and take it seriously. But then 
hold yourself accountable with a performance. And if, even if you're in your practice room, you can practice performing on your own. Most, pe most people I know now have a, have a smartphone. Put your phone up there, hit record, and perform. Then watch it back and ask this question. Would I pay 99 cents for that download? That's and then and if not, why not? And if so, then it's time to move on. For me, right. that's where the, the synthesis comes from. You can do this on your own, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, that is the process. You have to record yourself. You got to get something on the business end of the bell because you're not on the business end of the bell, and and know whether musically you like what you're hearing. Is that what you wanted? Did you mm -hmm. like the way you did that? And <laughs> are you happy with how you <laughs> played it? Always. <laughs> I'm happy with the way I played it. Um, yeah, you should be on this end of the bell, the open bell. Um, yeah, that's th that's the issue. And if you don't, then then you need to do some some work and figure out why that is and what decisions you made um, and then fix those. Yeah, I, I love the fact that we kind of came back around to, you know, saying less. Right. Uh, that that's a beautiful concept and the other thing to keep in mind is that look the same instructions land differently on different students so back to the teaching perspective again you might say the same thing over and over again but that doesn't make any sense to a visual learner versus a kinesthetic learner right for the and that's the fascinating part to me is like trying to to have help this person understand where they are and come up with the vocabulary to do that and isn't that it being able to label an issue having the vocabulary to say oh this is a problem now I can go about fixing this. And, and knowing how to communicate with students, because there are students who overthink, but there are students who underthink. You know, I, I mm -hmm. had a student come in yeah. a, a couple years ago, and uh, I said, I'm going to guess you've heard teachers say to you things like, you're too smart to play trumpet, or, you know, and, and mm -hmm. she laughed and said, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I've heard that a lot. And I said, okay, so here's what I thought um, when I was young and, like, in, in school and in math class. I'm in my advanced math class in sixth grade. And something came out, and I looked at this and thought, oh, this is going to be a pain in the butt. And I would find the person in the class that I thought was an idiot and thought, well, if that person's going to get through it, I can do it. Right? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I want you to think you yeah. know, of, of people you know. There are lots of trumpet players out there that are, let's just say, perhaps not the most intellectually gifted people on the earth. Right? And are really great trumpet players. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be intellectually smart to play trumpet. But we've proven that. Yeah, there, there are lots of there's so much evidence there. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, why not use your intellectual capabilities to get better on the trumpet? Now, part of that is knowing when to not think about these sorts of things in the practice room. Think, what am I lacking? Identify those problems, work through those issues, and then both technically and musically. And then when it's time for the music, turn all of that off and say, I'm just going to focus on the music. Well, that makes that makes a lot of sense, yeah. and but then there are students who are like, I don't know, I just play trumpet, and when <laughs> things go wrong for those students, no idea, then you got to get them to think a little more. So, right. it, 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 depending on who you've got in the room, you may need more analysis or less analysis based on the student what they're bringing into the room. Absolutely, different students are going to need different levels of this. But the idea of saying just enough, right? You don't want to overload information for whatever, whoever the student is. It's just enough to get it to move in a certain way. You know, Joey, what you said brought up another uh, interesting thing is, isn't proximity to performance a deciding factor in how much you tackle or what you go about? Because ultimately, you have to play the gig, right? So like what Brian's going through here, 
I mean, I think probably like a lot of other folks during this time are saying, there's nothing on the horizon. This yeah. is an opportunity to fix this because I have a long period of time to go after it. Then again, if it's two weeks before your senior recital, let your lip move around. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Not Let's not that. go for a reset. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think the, the famous quote from Lauren Michaels is, uh, Saturday Night Live doesn't go on because it's ready. It goes on because it's 1130 on Saturday night. Like, yeah, so there when it is. The, when the, when the, when it, if you've got a concert or if you've got a gig and you've got a performance, then at that point, you have to do your best to get through that as, as, as well as you can. And then the next day you hop in the practice room and go, okay, and now we keep going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the idea of constantly being aware of what's going on and awareness of what, what's happening is great, but it is possible to analyze to such a degree that you do paralyze yourself and that oh, you can't yeah. spin out of that. I mean, that, that is a reality of what we deal with. Absolutely, yeah, and that's where the idea of simplifying you know, I mean, the book Brian references a few times. He kept saying, "Inner game." There is an inner game of music, but you really should just go read the original book, "The Inner Game of Tennis." Yes, yeah, the inner uh, game of music is not as good. I don't think it, it's not. And this guy's name is it's Timothy Galway, right? Yeah, I mean, there's uh, no tennis. So you can in find it, that for one thing. No he doesn't mention or tennis golf. at all. Yeah, well, in in the the uh, <laughs> podcast that, that Brian's referencing, they talk about his story. He went to the Houston Symphony and worked with a tuba player, and he goes, "I don't know anything about tuba." Right. So I just asked this guy a couple of questions, and he played again, and the whole orchestra stood up and clapped. <laughs> so it's beautiful it's the idea of getting out of the way. Now, especially when you have people at the professional level, and that's where a lot of this comes from. If you have people who are already at a professional level and can all are already very, very technically and musically adept, a lot of times the idea is, why are you getting in your way? You already know what to do. Just go do it is great advice. It now, is. Now, a lot of times when we're dealing with students who are not at that level, there's a little more involved than that. Yeah. Um, I, do I have watch. a question. Oh, sure. Go ahead. The question is, so when you say just think about the music, what does that mean? Because we've had, we've had this discussion, and for me, what that means is in my head, I'm singing the pitch, the dynamic, the tone color, and speaking the articulation in my head as I'm playing. Like I'm wrapped up in that part and how that would sound musically and hoping that that's coming out at the end of the, the bell. Now you said, Joey, you do not hear the pitches in your head when you're no. playing. No. But you I, know, I'm curious about that because you said like you see that note, you know what that note sounds like. Yeah. But that's not an audiation thing in your brain. It isn't in my brain, but I'll, to answer directly what you're talking about first, when I'm starting to play, and this comes to a little bit of, of wanting to sound good and, and building some confidence, my thought is, I want to have this thought before I start everything I play. This is about to sound spectacular. Like, I want to share something that's going to sound great. So I want to have the confidence that I can do it and the idea that it's going to, to do, and I'm going to achieve that through the performance. That's all. That Literally that simple. And then there are times where I'm playing where I'm, uh, I, I've talked about this with uh, students about nerves, about trying to uh, find ways to deal with this and get out of your head. Mm. Now, what I like to do is evidently not uh, helpful for a lot of other people, but I want to be honest <laughs> at what I do, because I can tell you I did my interview for, uh, for IU on April 1st, 2003, and the first thing I did was play a, like a half recital in our recital hall, and I'm really bad at remembering names. I'm not good at that. 
And so I had looked at people's names, and as I was playing the recital, I was looking around the recital hall to see where people were sitting so I had their names clear because we're going to have a meeting right after that. So I looked <laughs> to see where people were sitting. While, and, and while you're playing. While I'm playing, yeah. I like to see who's <laughs> out there. We used to do this, uh, like when, when I was at <laughs> Disney, you know, we'd look and see if people were coming by, and we'd see our friends come by to see the shows. I'd be like, hey, look, 2 o'clock, somebody's here, you know. Uh, but I, I found that other people find that to be more nerve-wracking than not. Mm. But uh, you need to find whatever that is. So I get completely out of it. I'm like, this is going to sound great. And then, whoop. And then afterwards, um, people say, how did it go? I'm like, I'm not really sure. I'll have to listen back. Yeah. Um, I asked, you know, Tim Warfield is on our adjunct faculty here, great tenor saxophone player, played with Nicholas Payton and played with, plays with Terrell Stafford. And I was at a concert of his once, and it was just the typical Tim lights out, amazing playing. And I just later had a conversation with him and i said man i gotta ask like what are you thinking like when that's going on right like what are you thinking about he said oh i'm not thinking about anything right like if i'm thinking i'm done yeah you it's want to over be clear for me. of mind exactly right yeah and i for me like in that brian it's a broader thing like i'm thinking i have an image in my head of what i'm trying to say or what i want it to sound like and then i'm just Joe used the word sharing that like that. I'm just sending that right. I'm not I'm not inside the, the fifths and the fourths and the I'm definitely not, not thinking. Along. No, and I'm definitely not thinking about articulation. I'm just <laughs> that's clear. <laughs> well, it's not always clear. <laughs> to be clear, it's clear not always not clear. Yeah. Yeah. I watched um, I watched Charles Schluter. Um, do a master class at North Texas once. And those, uh, those of you who may not know, that's former principal trumpet of the Boston Symphony Orchestra and and a teacher at New England Conservatory for years and years. Yeah. Yes, fantastic, like giant in in our industry. And so he's doing this master class, and I'm gonna. My friend Ray Vasquez, Ramon Vasquez, was there playing, and Ray is a amazing trumpet player, like a beast of a trumpet player. So he gets up there to play pictures for Mr. Schluter, which he does. And it sounds great, but it sounds like Ray. He's just going for it. And Charlie asked him then to, he said, great, do it this time and tap your foot. And so he did, and he tapped his foot, and he played it, and it sounded great. And he said, great, do it this time and tap your other foot. And you could see <laughs> the fear come over Ray's face, like, oh, I don't to think about realize, it. my God, I, this is the foot I always tap. Okay, so he shifts his weight, and he starts tapping his, his left foot, and starts playing and this is not even close <laughs> and totally everyone totally different player and everyone in the room it was one of those things like he played the first three notes and everyone you turned to who was sitting next to you going oh my god what just happened what's going on because <laughs> huh? it did it sounded like of course strong like ray but it was gorgeous and connected and in another place musically and he you could tell he was stunned he could even hear it right so he stops and just looks at him and mr schluter says yeah i'm not really sure why that works but um, you know, sort of like downplaying it, but, but I know it does. But then he it was really funny, but then he explained it, which was, I just put you in a different part of your brain. Right. It's brain wiring. Yeah. Yeah. And it was fantastic. I've tried that same thing with large ensembles when I've been out doing non-trumpet related musical activities. Conducting. <laughs> Conducting. With turtle turtleneck. <laughs> turtlenecking. <laughs> the proper term is turtlenecking. Yes. Turtle, yeah. um, and I've actually had it work with a group of individuals as well as, as just right. one person. Well, all, yeah. all, I mean, from a very uh, oversimplified statement, what that does is stop you thinking about what you normally think about. Yeah. It's, it's a complete distraction, because now he's thinking, well, I have to do something I've never done before, which means I have to let the trumpet playing part, which I've already built into habit, go. 
There it is. And once you've done that, that's where you're clear of mind. You're yeah. out of your own way as far as making the trumpet work and making music work because you're worried about making your left foot go in time. Yeah, I got to do this really difficult thing of tapping my left foot right. in time. Exactly. In front I mean, of my I, friends. I, I used to do this when I, when I, when I was sight reading um, in college in jazz bands. I would uh, stand on one foot. I'd stand on my left foot and swing my right foot. And I ended up kicking one of my friends. John Bailey stood next to me for a couple <laughs> years in college. Great jazz player. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, what I figured out is if I'm worried about falling over, I'm not worried about the sight reading. <laughs> so I swing my leg so I have to keep my balance while I'm playing lead trumpet in a big band. And he looked at me and goes, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I'm like, okay. But, but it, it works. It, it, it worked for me. And, and yeah. it's, it's the same principle at play. Yeah. Yeah, so big takeaways on this, guys. What do you, what do you think? I mean, if you, if you had to just drop some final words of wisdom on this topic to a student um, on overthinking, on paralysis through analysis, what do you got? One, growth requires analysis, but you can't analyze while you're performing. Mm -hmm. Or That's you should great. Yeah. If I want to yeah. put it in one sentence. As, as simple as you can, keep the words very simple and clear, and go for the music. Love it. Yeah. This is great stuff. Hopefully will be helpful to folks who are, especially during these times, kind of spending some time introspectively with the horn, trying to figure out what's right. next. And, yeah. you know, this is an opportunity to fix things, so we get that. And let me just say this, for those who might, I know some people have been worried about motivation because there's no gigs, there's no concerts, so people right. like, well, why should I bother practicing? Especially for younger players, I think once we end up returning to whatever you know, we think of as normal, right. there's going to be a large turnover and there's going to be a lot of jobs open in, in the, the coming years. There yeah. are people who are already retiring going like, well, I might as well just hang it up now. I was close anyway. I'll just go. Yeah, whole bunch. So if you need some motivation, there's going to be some really good auditions coming up, and you should be ready. So you should be practicing now. <laughs> Better believe it. That's right. Well, finally, we reach the portion of the program we like to call No Offense. This is where we highlight something from the trumpet kingdom that is recognized, used, and touted, yet might not make so much sense to us. And we feel it's our responsibility, no, our duty, to highlight such things to raise awareness and form the masses and generally start trouble. Today, the topic, n taking shortcuts. If you think taking like some six-week course or trying something someone posted on the Internet that leads to a double C in three days, no offense, but you're doing it wrong. Real trumpet players don't take shortcuts. <laughs> Real trumpet players can't take shortcuts because they don't work. It's not a thing. The idea that there's some sort of magic solution, that if I just did this, everything's just going to click right in, you know, uh, I know, I mean, Walt Johnson's a, a really great guy, right? Now, I've, I've asked him about his poorly named book, and he goes, that wasn't my idea. It wasn't my title. <laughs> but he has a book called Double IC in 10 Minutes. And right. now all he's really doing in that book is explaining how he plays. And he's saying, look, I think if you do this, you might be able to figure some stuff out. And that can certainly be, that couldn't be valuable. But the idea that, oh, in 10 minutes you're going to have a, a, a real double C is, is ludicrous, and he knows that. Yeah, I mean, that it would have been way better if it had been double B flat in 10 minutes. That's attainable. <laughs> that you can do. Come that on. I think I did with you in a classroom you, in Albuquerque you, just a you, couple years ago. You did. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, I can't play that note. Joey said, that's the most ridiculous thing you ever said. Get your trumpet out. 
you can play that. <laughs> or if we're going to talk double B flats, I think we need to call out our very, very good friend, Dr. Scott Belk, who at one point oh. said to all of us, yeah, I don't really have a B flat. And that night or the next night was playing with a college band, playing uh, Begin the Begin, the, the night show arrangement, which mm -hmm. has a lovely gliss right up to a high B flat that he absolutely scorched dead center. Yeah. Said, so I've said to him, Right, you can't play a double B flat unless it's written or you want to, and then you can do it anytime you want. <laughs> yeah, there was nothing flat about that note. Yeah, dead center. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tell my students that ours is the shortcut because their way takes literally an infinite <laughs> amount of time. Oh, I love that. I love it. Yeah, they never get there. Yeah, hey, if you good waste news. your time taking yeah. all those shortcuts, you could have just been practicing a little bit every day and actually gotten better. That's right. Yeah. Good news, I know a shortcut. Bad news, it's four years long. <laughs> bad, bad news is it takes the rest of your life. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, listen, that about does it for today. Thanks for joining us on The Open Bell. Stay tuned, subscribe, or whatever works for you, and please tell your friends. We appreciate your patronage, and so do our sponsors who have no idea what they've gotten themselves into. So long for now. Remember to keep an open mind, but more importantly, an open bell.